When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. his New York sports radio fans know him, the great Alan White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report, here on Tuesday, January 6, 2020. 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air this week the patriots dynasty is over maybe the saints disappoint in the postseason again texans and seahawks move on and the dallas cowboys finally name their new head coach check your sources we're off now what would be the odds that that was happening again that that was a new report was that a new report or an old report that's what i'm asking is it a new report or an old report is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The NFL postseason is finally here and gave us plenty to talk about just in the wild card round. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to the listeners. I hope your Christmas and New Year's was well as well. And we can get into what was a pretty wacky wild card weekend. John, first of all, I hope you had a wonderful holiday season, Christmas, New Year's. I know with your girlfriend and her family, so I hope you had a great time with them. Same for all of our listeners out there. And happy and healthy New Year to everybody. And lo and behold, Wild Card Weekend was exactly that. We've got a new coach. We've got more new coaches to go. And we may well have seen, as so many think, as many anticipated, the end of an era in New England. Well, very excited for this show for a couple of reasons. One is we're going to get to talk about the New England Patriots losing in an NFL playoffs and losing in a wild card game at that, which never happens. And two, we're going to get to hear you rant and rave and enjoy another postseason loss by the New Orleans Saints and Sean Payton, one of your favorite head coaches. So we're going to give that just the gift that just keeps on giving. We're going to maybe have to turn the volume down on the microphones a couple times throughout the show, but we'll start with what will be a storyline now until the end of the postseason, well into the offseason, and of course before the season starts, and that's the New England Patriots. Dallas, as much as they tried to name their new head coach during the postseason, during the Eagles game, their division rival, That won't lead our show, Jerry Jones, so sorry about that. We start with New England and a shocking loss to the Tennessee Titans. Not necessarily a shock that they were to lose a game because, as we know, they've struggled to beat good teams this football season. Started out, I think, 8-0, were rolling, but really didn't play anybody. 
Once those good teams came to town or they went to those towns, things started going a little south. Not to say that the Tennessee Titans are a great football team, but they've played great of late. Derrick Henry, their running back, has been a beast. Ryan Tannehill has pretended that he's not the Ryan Tannehill that we have known to love, a potential backup quarterback playing out of his mind, doing what he can, and the defense for the Tennessee Titans playing great as well. Coming to New England, underdogs, what do they have to play for? No pressure. And they end up beating the New England Patriots 20-13, to holding the Pats to no points for the entirety of the second half. This has to be one of the worst games I've seen New England play as a whole. The defense was all right score-wise, but they couldn't stop Derrick Henry to save their lives. Whenever Ryan Tannehill needed to make a pass, he seemingly did it each time. And on the side of the New England offense, this was not the New England offense with Tom Brady under center that we've been used to for the past 20 years. First and goal, you don't come up with a touchdown. Short fourth downs, they punt instead of going for it. A crucial drop pass by Julian, don't call me Wes Welker in that moment, Edelman that killed their, one of their last drives. All the signs were pointing to a typical New England comeback. Here we go. When, for whatever reason, the Titans decide to punt. And Mike Vrabel does his best Bill Belichick impression by taking several delay of games to keep the clock moving, a trick that Bill Belichick used against the Jets a couple weeks ago. Well, Mike Vrabel saw that and said, hey, if you're going to beat the king, you better not miss. Well, let me use one of these king's tricks. I thought they should have went for it there and, and tried to seal the game in that moment or come close to it, but it didn't end up mattering because New England couldn't muster the final drive to tie the game, to take the lead, whatever they needed to do. They looked awful for the entire second half, and for most of the game, red flags were going up as, what, what is the answer here? Is it Tom Brady? Is it the team as a whole? Is it just this is over? You know that a dynasty eventually has to come to an end. The trouble with the Patriots dynasty is when do we hit that switch? Because it seems like it's been touched by accident for the past several seasons where the Pats are done, the Pats are cooked, and they win the Super Bowl. So you never want to overstep your hand. But I guess based on the situation, Tom Brady's age, how the team looks, where everything stands in the AFC as a whole, we might be getting close to that. It might be getting close to the end of the New England Patriots, shall we say. It's hard to do it, but that game didn't help their case. Well, we know they're close to the end. Whether it's the end or not, I think a huge determining factor will be from whether or not their starting quarterback is back or not. Let's first start from the end in the post-game press conference, when asked if he was likely to retire, uh, Tom Brady answered that that was very unlikely. So we anticipate that he's going to be back playing football in the National Football League somewhat. So I think we can put away the notion that he's done playing. That's number one. Number two is, will he be the new quarterback next year? Because if he is not, where do they go? Is Jared Stidham the answer? Do they find a 
rookie quarterback drafting in the back end of the first round? Do they sign a free agent? Teddy Bridgewater coming out of New Orleans? The quarterback that just beat them? Coming out of Tennessee? Do they stay with the ageless wonder? All questions TBD. What we saw on the field was incredibly unusual. It was the perfect storm of all the things we see the losing team do when they lose to New England. The bad penalty, the drop pass, the questionable play call, the questionable coaching decisions. Those are always the things that the team that loses to New England seems to leave out there for criticism. Number one, they come out, they start well, they look strong. They, after, after an awful first series, they're moving the ball. New England defense is playing well. And then it looks like they are ready to take a stranglehold on the game before halftime with a great drive. And they wind up first and goal. Two runs go nowhere. Well, not go nowhere, but Burkett gets to the basically the one-yard line. This is when we have seen for years Year after year after year after year. Whether or not you think he's the greatest quarterback of all time remains to be seen. Most do. I don't, but that's not there. there. But he is clearly the greatest quarterback sneaker of all time. On third and goal from the one, I expect Tom Brady to run one of the famed quarterback sneaks and score a touchdown. Instead, they run the ball wide to Sony Michelle. He loses three hours. They have to field goal. A huge stop, a huge turnabout, a huge momentum shift in the game right there. New England always scores there. They had nobody to go to on the goal line when they wanted to throw the ball. They have no tight end other than the 106-year-old Ben Watson. Their offensive line was, I thought, okay in that game. The bottom line is, People talk about no weapons. People, Tom Brady has always made out without all pro weapons. Yeah, he had Randy Moss for a couple of years. But, you know, it's been Wes Welker, then followed by Julian Edelman. They even won a year without Gronk. They managed to find a way. I never thought they could win without Gronk. They won a world championship without Gronk. Shockingly, amazingly. So I always thought he was the most valuable player on the, on the offense. But it just seems like nothing is in sync. Julian Edelman Julian never drops him. On second and six, Edelman drops a gimme first down catch on the last drive of the game, which should have been the last drive of the game, that has them moving. Probably would have put them in, if not plus territory around midfield, and they would have been on their way to try a game-winning field. Instead, he drops the pass wide open. Third and six, nobody open, as usual. The wide receiver's not open, incomplete. Brady tries to force it in. And fourth and six, as you said before, Belichick punts, expecting his defense to get the ball back, which they never did. Forget the first and ten from the one-yard line and the interception for a touchdown. That matters not. 
that going 99 yards in 10 seconds. Couldn't get the ball back. Defense played pretty well, didn't play great. Tannehill did nothing all day except the one third down completion. Which, how, how that happened, I have no idea. Receivers wide open. And then you had the huge penalty. New England on the move, Brady on the scramble, and there somehow, some way, is the venerable Ben Watson, as I said before, in his 37th year out of Georgia, played for Vince Dooley, the relic, wide open, long ball, completion, first down, on the move, called back, penalty, New England, Illegal receiver downfield. One of the linemen turned and ran with Brady for a couple yards. When he thought Brady was going to scramble, he got himself downfield by a couple yards. Even that call you don't see go against New England. So everything that doesn't happen to New England in playoff games happened in New England. And they simply were not good enough. Their personnel was not good enough. You, know, you talk about well, there are no weapons. What you don't see is whether it was the nameless wide receivers we've seen over the years uh, fill in the blanks, none of which are all pros, some of which wind up being Super Bowl MVPs, you know, whether it's Branch, you know, it, it doesn't matter. They always seem to be wide open in a big spot, whether it was Welcome, whether it was Elman, whether it was Deion Branch, or name so many others who've always been there in a big spot to make a big catch. The wide receivers are never open. You see Brady trying to throw balls into areas where there's no place to put it. There's always a defender right there, draped on his wide receiver's back. Whether it's Brady complaining they're not running their routes hard enough, whether they're not fast enough, whether they're not making their cuts quick enough, he says he needs them to run their, their routes harder. Whatever the case may be, whether it's Muhammad Sanu, whether it's Harry, the rookie, and I thought he missed the boat on the draft pick. I didn't want him. I'm glad the Ravens didn't take him. There are a bunch of wide receivers taken after him. The twins from Ole Miss who have huge impacts. We saw it already in the postseason. I mean, Brown didn't have much of an impact in that game. Uh, their rookie wide receiver from Ole Miss for the Titans with Browns had a huge season and obviously we saw Decaf Metcalf have a huge impact, the other Ole Miss wide receiver for Seattle yesterday. So I truly believe that he missed the boat on the wide receiver pick. I didn't like Harry. I didn't think he was a great route runner at Arizona State. I didn't think he had a lot of separation speed and he really struggled and Brady was always screaming at him about you know, his route running, etc. And uh, it's hard enough as it is to fit into the New England scheme as, as a rookie. And he just never made an impact. There was no one for him to go with the ball so many different times. All those big third down conversions just never happened. But when you look at them, I, I see Brady throw the ball, and don't get me wrong, I'm nothing remotely resembling a quarterback whisper, but it looks like it's coming out pretty clean. Looks like it's coming out with some pop on it. I look the guy down in New Orleans, looks like he's got a dead on Zip looks like it's there. Strength looks like it's there. Not like 10 years ago, but strong enough to get the job done. I just don't see guys open. But the bottom line is the plays always somehow, way got made. Whether it was the big defensive stop, whether it was the big play on offense, but you saw mistakes that you're not used to seeing. And then you have the questionable coaching call. 
you know, not going for the fourth and four, giving the ball back to Tennessee. And then even on the last gasp, did they actually think they were going to block the punt? When they put nobody back, Edelman's right. back there, then Edelman comes up to the line of scrimmage. They rush 11 ballers up in the one yard. You really think they're going to block the punt and not put somebody back there? Now, remember, chances are slim and none. But if you catch the punt and wind up at your own 20 or 25-yard line, look, there is still a possibility of a miracle, whether it's an interference penalty, a long completion with a second left and kick a game-winning field goal. From the one-yard line, you're done. You're not doing anything. Even that decision, I couldn't figure out. And Belichick's answer after the game was just it was mystifying. He had no answer. Just, uh, I mean, the guy asked a legitimate question, and he just, just poo-pooed it off. Poo-pooed, they just like shunned it away. Like, coach, it's a big decision. What are you thinking there? Do you think you're going to block the punt? So all the things we're used to seeing from the New England Patriots that result in them finding ways to win games when you thought they had no chance of winning, when we counted them out, when we thought it was all over, I thought all reared their ugly head on the same day. And despite all that, they still, yes, they lost by a touchdown. To me, they lost by the game by a point. I mean, the last touchdown meant nothing. To me, that's a 14-13 game. And they just could not get down the field to get themselves in a position for a game-winning field goal. And we never, ever see that happen. As I said, that remains to be seen. And the first piece in the puzzle is whether or not their quarterback comes back. If their quarterback does not come back, I believe it is over as we know it. If he does come back, they've got a lot of draft picks and free agency to work with. Can they put the pieces back together or new pieces into the puzzle? Yes, I think they can because the defense is strong. It's not great. You know, we were, we were told and misled into thinking this was a historical defense. This is not a steel curtain defense. This is not a 50-year-ago Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl winning defense with Hall of Famers everywhere else. This is not the 85 Bears defense. This is not the 2000 Ravens defense. By no means. It is a solid, very good, but not great defense. So you said first half of the year they played nobody. So it was misleading. They played well yesterday or Saturday. But they didn't play well enough. So many times we talk about a good defensive team, but could they come up with a stop? They couldn't come up with a stop and get their offense to the ball back. That's what surprised me more so about this game is because we know – one of the things Bill Belichick does against opponents is he takes away what you do best, whether that's the passing game, whether that's the rushing game, whether that's your special teams, whether he'll try to pin you at the 10-yard line and have you fight for field position for an entire game long. You knew going into this game, Derrick Henry was going to be the guy for the Tennessee Titans. The rushing attack would be what they would lean on to try to win the football game. But for whatever reason, whether it was scheme or whether it was just the players couldn't do it, they couldn't stop Derrick Henry to save their life. 
Couldn't stop a nosebleed, as Bart Scott would once say about that defense. 186 yards and a touchdown. Most rushing yards, record upon record, given up against the Patriots at home, et cetera, et cetera, postseason. A, a historic day for Derrick Henry. Now, Ryan Tannehill's numbers still weren't great. I mean, the people on the depth chart that have a WR next to their names accounted for 10 total passing yards through the game. They ended up, I think, with 76 total passing yards. Uh, less than a pedestrian game. He didn't, he didn't do anything, but he didn't need to was, was the thing. And the one pass that he needed to complete, he did to a kid out of Harvard. One wide pass open. was all he needed wide to throw, open. and he was wide open. So I, wide. it was curious to me that they just couldn't find an answer for Derrick Henry, and props to the Titans for not going away from that. There was no need to. Hand the man the ball. It's going to keep the New England defense on the field, keep Tom Brady off of it, and it's the most successful thing they've done this season and in the second half. We saw the stats of how great they've been in the third and fourth quarters, and they continued to roll in the second half. It was very surprising. You, you wouldn't have expected to see that in a home wild card game with a team wearing a Patriots uniform. This is one of the first times we've seen something like that happen. And you're right about Tom Brady. He didn't look awful. There's just nowhere to throw it to. He's getting into the mode now where obviously he's not going to be scrambling around. And if things aren't working, he just throws it at their feet, throws it out of bounds, lift to play but another down. That, we've seen that for a while. You know, we've seen him. We've seen him look old in the pocket for two or three years now. When we see him try and move, and it, and it looks ugly. And you know, you want him to get down before he gets killed, and just throw. But we see a lot of older guys do that. We see some young guys do. Phil Rivers been doing it forever. Eli Manning's been doing. It. Um, you see, even some of the young guys just throw the ball. Tannehill did it on what was going to be a sack where he just fired the ball five yards from where he was, and they waved off what could have been a ground. Um, the, the thing is that just there's no separation anywhere. Every time you look down the field, you don't see anybody open. There's no yards after the catch. Edelman as a primary receiver in the postseason does not work with no Gronk or with no wide receiver. There was a scarcity of James White in the second half of the game. They did a very good job taking James White away in the receiving game because we know what a big factor he could be. You know, the, the scheme defensively has been Focus on White and Edelman. Double them both if you have to. Make somebody else catch a ball to beat you. Nobody else is ever open. They need some wide receivers. They can create some separation. They can get down the field, open up the middle of the field for Edelman. They need a tight end who's not 61 years old. How much of it you can draft, how much of it you can sign in free agency, we'll find out in the offseason. But, you know, Belichick always has a lot of picks. What he does with them is a different story. As I said, I really thought he missed the boat on the wide receiver scenario. There were a ton of wide receivers in this past draft. 
many of whom had huge impacts. He drafted one who had virtually no impact. And it was desperately needed. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. If I had to guess, I would say they run it back, as in Tom Brady returns, and they try to do what they seemingly tried to do this year in getting those big, fast, separation-type wide receivers in the Antonio Browns of the world, the Josh Gordons of the world. They tried. Seems like they knew this was coming. And in both instances, it didn't work out. There will be a ton to choose from. And if I had to put money down, I would think they all find a way to come together and say, let's try it again. And not because this was going around too, like, that's not going to be Tom Brady's last pass in the NFL, that pick six. Do you honestly think he's going to return to the NFL because he threw a pick six in a wild card game? Probably knowing that they needed him to return it for a touchdown, so they had a prayer to maybe return a kick because they were at the one-yard line. Let's not say it was one pass is going to decide his future. Let me ask you this. We don't think he's going to give a hometown discount. So who is going to make this decision? Is this decision going to come from the owner? Or is this decision going to come from the general manager? Because we know the owner wants him back. Right. But that's all. The owner went on record today. Either want him to come back to the Patriots or retire. Right. Kraft is the only one we've heard from, though, as far as Tom's our guy. And we've heard Belichick say, you know, too early to make these kind of decisions. Just finish coaching. A lot of people involved in the decision-making process. Himself, Brady, Kraft. What do you think Belichick wants to do? Incredibly interesting. I hope he sits down with Nick Saban and HBO can take some of that conversation to see what he wants to do. I think he's at a time where, and I only think it would be one, maybe two more seasons with Tom Brady, so it's not like he'd have to wait too much longer for this. They'd have to give him a lot of money. A ton of money. And he's at the point of his career where you've, only got a couple more years to play with where you can get your next quarterback, develop them into what you want them to be and have a chance at finding success with said quarterback before you're too old and you're ready to retire. So maybe he's ready for that. Maybe he's ready to turn the page, get someone else, see if he can turn them into something and have enough years left over to where he could get enough success and it would be a positive and he could retire on a high note with that and he might think well I don't know after this season it might be better to go to the drawing board now the problem is they're not going to get their hands on somebody that's going in the first 20 of the draft you're not going to get Joe Burrow you're not going to get any of those guys well there's always the possibility of trading up right and ironically, we have this discussion on the day when Tua has announced he's going into the NFL draft. But we don't know what his draft stock is going to be. 
everything went well with the surgery, all the reports from the doctors, and the rehab, and the specialists, and the trainers that they brought in, and the extra eyes are all positive. But we don't know what his workouts are going to be like. We don't know what it's going to be like when he throws. If he goes to the combine, you know, what he's going to run. When he has his pro day, if he throws, what it's going to look like. He may fall to the middle of the first round. It's true. And be eminently reachable. Very true. For a trade-up via the Patriots. Eminently reachable. And a lefty quarterback. You know Bill Belichick would have fun with that. He loves his lefty kickers and punters. What would he do with a left-handed quarterback? It's gonna, like we said, this will be part of the discussion now till the offseason goes into the preseason. The Patriots will find a way to be on our minds. But what's exciting about it, Al, is they've lost. And we don't have to talk about them playing games for the rest of the postseason. And another team that's lost that you're also excited that we don't have to talk about for the rest of the postseason, your New Orleans Saints. Sean Payton. Nine-point favorites at home in a game that I thought was the easily going to be the least competitive game of Wild Card Weekend. And this is not because I don't have respect for Minnesota. I do. I think they're a good team. They got a lot of good players, but they didn't finish well. I think their quarterback is a middling quarterback who was in the right place at the right time. And going into this game, I believe his record against teams with winning records was an unfathomable 6-30. and 6-30. <laughs> That's the guy getting all that money. Now, you know, no one has been more critical of him than me. I basically said he sucks. He's barely a top half of the NFL quarterback, and that's right around where he is. Despite that, I have never thought that Kirk Cousins was a bad guy. And I have always liked the way he has handled himself in the face of constant criticism. Not for me, because he doesn't know me from a hole in the wall, but constant criticism from the press and the fans. He has never blamed anybody. He took heat earlier in the season from his own wide receivers, and he started to play better after that. He had a solid season, not a great season, a solid season, an excellent second half, and I thought he played terrific yesterday. He made the huge throw when it had to be made. He took care of the football, and he handled himself in victory the same way he's handled himself in defeat, with style and with class. He gave all the credit in the world to his teammates and his offensive line and his defense for keeping them in the game. So kudos to Kurt Cousins. I've been incredibly critical of him. I am very happy for him because I think he's a class act. They were the best team on the field yesterday. They deserved to win that game, and he was the better quarterback. And the throw he made to Thielen to set up the game-winning touchdown in overtime was a throwback in time to a game which you weren't even born yet for, a classic AFC postseason game between the Oakland Raiders and the Baltimore Colts 
Burt Jones was at the helm for the Colts, the Rustin Rifle, Kenny the Snake Stabler, through the legendary Ghost to the Post pass into Dave Casper, which was so similar. Casper made the over-the-shoulder Willie Mays-type catch, looking literally straight back over his head. Now, it wasn't down to the five-yard line or the three-yard line, uh, but it got them set up for a huge score down the stretch in that game. And it was a very similar throw and a very similar catch. I'm trying to remember if the ghost in the post set up the tying field goal or set up the winning score in overtime because uh, my memory is not what it used to be. But this was you know, back in the mid-70s uh, when the Raiders were at the height of their powers and the Colts were a terrific team, a perennial playoff team by Burt Jones, who's one of the most exciting quarterbacks with as live an arm as you will ever see in your life. That was a very similar play. He made a great throw. He made a great throw on third down. I don't want to hear interference. That was hand fighting, grabbing. We've seen it all year long. They let guys play. I much prefer that they let guys play. The defender was grabbing at Rudolph first, and Rudolph pushed him off. Get off me. You know, you could have called holding on the defender first. So let's put that away. To Sean Payton's credit, he didn't bitch about the officiating after the game. He gave Minnesota credit. But Sean Payton's mismanagement of the clock at the end of regulation is unfathomable. I just don't understand what he was doing. It's almost like he was playing for a tie. Here you are at home in your own building. You've been outplayed the whole game. Minnesota's defense has literally shut you down except for someone named Taysom Hill. For those who don't know, he's their Swiss Army knife out of Brigham Young, 29 years old, who did everything. Caught a touchdown pass, blocked for a touchdown, ran well. You name it, he did it. Their offense was completely shut down, except for him. And now... Somehow, some way, after Minnesota gets conservative, when a scoop and score gets called back, rightfully so, because Cook was down. They get conservative on second and 17. They run the ball, which I could not believe. Then the sack. The sack comes with two and a half minutes to go, and then some. Over two and a half minutes to go. You've got a timeout left. You're only down three. If you call timeout there, you've got the timeout, you get the ball, then you've got the two-minute warning. You don't have to worry about timeouts. You don't need timeouts. What are you waiting for? <laughs> call the timeout. You wind up with – now, I, I don't care about the 21 seconds versus 11 seconds. That doesn't mean a, a, a hill of beans. Yeah, you could have gotten a little closer, but you weren't going to the end zone there because too much can go wrong. You know, they're defending against the touchdown there with that little time left because they know you only got the one timeout. You got to use it. So they're just going to keep you in the field of play. So what I don't understand is why do you let the clock run all the way down? And then basically you're scrambling up after every completion. You're not clocking the ball and wasting it down where you wind up instead of having plenty of time to go for the win, you are scrambling to go for the tie. 
and had to settle for a 49-yard field goal. I just, I, I could not understand it. He literally let over a minute to a minute and a half of game time, clock time, just disappear. They could have run a normal offense, virtually, and been in a position, if they moved the ball, to win the game. When you're in the 25-yard line with 15, you know, going into the end zone is very risky because you're defending everything from the goal line back. They're going to keep everything in front of them because they know you have to use that one timeout if you're kept in the field of play. So, and, and so many things can go wrong. You can get sacked if you don't have that timeout. You can have a tip ball, an interception. Ball can go up in the air in the end zone, get intercepted. So you can't risk the entire season on too much of a, a, a play where the ball is hotly contested. And you wouldn't have had to do that had you started with so much more time to work with and gotten yourself down and closer to the red zone where you had legitimate chances to score a touchdown. To score a touchdown because the defense would be on its heels. They would defend, be defending and be defending against everything, the entire playbook. I, I just, I, I could not figure it out. I could not figure it out. You know, I, I, this is a guy who gets so much respect as a coaching genius, a coaching guru. And, and last but not least, last but not least, is a nine-point favorite in your own building. This discussion we had leading up to this game in the last couple of weeks, can we put away once and for all this notion that Drew Brees is, if he won the Super Bowl here, was as good or better than Peyton Manning, simply because he's now thrown for more yards or more touchdowns? Enough! Please. This guy couldn't shoot the shine Peyton Manning shoes on his best day. Peyton Manning was a three-time MVP. This guy's won none. This guy's never been the best quarterback in the league any year of his career. And we're going to say he's better than Peyton Manning? Somebody stop. Please. He's a nice quarterback. He's had a terrific career. He committed an unforgivable sin for a veteran quarterback. That fumble was Absolutely, positively abysmal. What do you do with dangling? Bad them or not? What, that's a rookie mistake. Dangling the ball out there in the red zone. What are you doing? It's a playoff game. Your life's on the line. The ball is gold. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Tough day for the top five all-time Drew Brees lovers. Because when you talk about the Saints and Vikings going up against each other, it, it was it's it's close when you go position by position. Defenses. Two great defenses, probably give the edge to the Vikings, but it's not complete apples and oranges. Wide receiving core, Michael Thomas, best wide receiver in the NFL. Well, Stephon, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen would tip their cap to that and say, we're right on your heels, bro. Dalvin Cook, he's done more than Alvin Kamara, but it's not complete night and day. It comes down to Drew Brees should be a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. He's not and he's not anymore. I don't care what the numbers say. 
He looked old. He looked okay. But there weren't points in the game. I mean, you're, you're just waiting. Like, where's the Drew Brees everybody talks about? Maybe where's we'll Kamara? See, where's Kamara? Taysom Hill is your guy, like, the guy? He can't be the guy, Al. He's a good guy to have. He's a nice, every once in a while, we throw him out there, a little trick play here. He had to take over the game for them to keep them in the game. I was calling for him to go to quarterback. Get Drew Brees out of there. Now you look at conversation of why Drew Brees and Sean Payton get such reverence when it comes to their careers and the postseason. And all you need to do is take a step back and look at some of the things that have happened to them. Yes, New Orleans has been on the bad end of some bad luck in the postseason, one possession losses like you, you can't even dream. But the commonplace in both these things is Drew Brees and Sean Payton. If they're good enough how they're talked about, you should win the one possession games. You shouldn't lose in three consecutive seasons to Case Keenum. Case Keenum. Kurt Cousins. Bums. Jared Goff beating you in three consecutive seasons. Then before that, you win four seasons. You didn't even make the postseason. You're going seven and nine like Jeff Fisher for consecutive years. Three of them in a row. What is happening? to these fans that think that the 2009 New Orleans Saints are the team we'll see every year. They had a historic run at one of the worst points in the city's history that became one of the best sports stories of our lifetime. That's fantastic. Drew Brees is a great person. Sean Payton's a great guy. They work well together. But when you take a step back and look at their resumes, they're no better than Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. They're, they're not as good as Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll have been. I mean, you could look at what Eli's done championship-wise and say him and Coughlin had a better go at it than Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Every year, this Saints team is built up to win the Super Bowl, and every year, it ends in disappointment. They don't even get to the Super Bowl. So maybe, like, this year will be the... Perhaps let's pump the brakes. Because now I don't know what they do next season. Do you bring everybody back again like they did last year coming into this? It was a fluke play. We lost. It should have been pass interference. We were right there. Now we're right there again. We got into overtime. Is this just going to be a broken record every year where they're right there, but they can't make the play to get them over the hump? I believe they have two free agent quarterbacks. Can't bring them both back. Teddy Bridgewater will be in demand. You know what conversation we had on this show when Teddy Bridgewater was about to take over. What did we both say? Just keep your head above Bridgewater all right, until Breeze gets back. Oh, by the way, they were undefeated with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm. They played their best football with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm. And you brought up the reason. You brought up the answer. You know me well enough by now that I do believe in karma. I said this to Nick Wright tonight. I've said it for years. I will continue to say the New Orleans Saints, New Orleans Saints are paying and will continue to pay 
a franchise worth of pennants for 2009. For the 2009 gift of a Super Bowl appearance in their own building, when they put a bounty out on Brett Favre, when they beat him up with cheap shot after cheap shot after cheap shot, and the referees looked the other way at least five or six different times where they could have called roughing the passer, late hits, personal fouls. They called none of them. None of them. And then lo and behold, Favre makes his mistake, throws a bad interception, game goes into overtime, and back under the old rules, they call a phantom, gutless, game-ending interference penalty against Minnesota, an awful pass interference call that put them in scoring position for the game-winning field goal. And they went to the Super Bowl. They had the onside kick to start the second half. The rest is history. They won the Super Bowl. If not for what I thought, if ever there, there a fix was in, and I never say that, but I have thought then, now, and always, that something was stinko in the bayou in that game. And they are paying the price for it. Football penance, the football gods, karma. They got a gift in 2009, and they are repaying it time and time and time with interest, season after season. So let's just pump the brakes a little bit, folks, on... Drew Brees is a top five quarterback of all time. And top five. Sean Payton is the second coming. Let's just pump the brakes. Because if you look at the numbers, they're all right. That's it. Drew Brees they're all right. does not belong in the company of whatever tier of quarterback you want to put Dan Marino and Brett Favre in. We'll have plenty of time to talk about Mike McCarthy being named the new Dallas Cowboys coach because as Jerry Jones likes to do, he'll try to keep this in the news, just like the Tom Brady news will be. I think it, I think it was an excellent choice. Uh, I think the Browns would have done well, which is almost a contradiction in terms. Had they gone after McCarthy, I don't know if they were trying to go after McCarthy. You know, he interviewed at both places. I don't know if Jerry Jones just made the first and best offer. I think he's going to do a good job. We have a couple minutes for a quick preview of sorts for the divisional round coming next week. What do you like about your Ravens' chances against the Titans? Were you happy with that scenario? And of course, well, I mean, you, when you're the one seed, you you can't be fearful of anyone. I mean, obviously they got the big guy to run the ball, and he's going to be a load to deal with. But you know, if the Ravens well-rested, with plenty of time to prepare, can't beat a club led by Tannehill, then they're not the best team in football. You have to be able to scheme a way to control Derrick Henry and make Tannehill beat you. Will it be a difficult game? Of course it should be a difficult game. It's supposed to be a difficult game. It's the playoffs. But I fully expect the Ravens to win that game. I expect them to win it somewhere along the lines of 27 or 30 to 17. I think they take care of business. I think the Chiefs take care of business against the Texans. 
though that's close game. Be, that'll be a close game. I think. Close game, you think? I think. Shootout. I hope you know, Bill O'Brien maybe misses the bus and Deshaun Watson can just go call the game himself. Shootout. Having Will Fuller back, I think it could make it a shootout. A back, and that's going to be an exciting game to watch. Patty Mahomes. If the weather's good, if if the weather's pretty good, I'd love to see that. Now, look, I, I never want to see like you know a fifty-two forty-nine game, but I I would love to be that have that be like a. a 35 31 game in the NFC. I have no idea. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Am I the only one that thinks Minnesota can go into San Francisco? No, I, I think they, they definitely can, and they showed that this week. If Kirk Cousins plays like he did this past weekend, he doesn't turn the ball over, they can find a way to establish the run, and then you ask Jimmy G to have to make throws and make, make a comeback if, if you're down or up by a couple scores, I should say. I don't know if he can do that. The equation to me is pretty simple for Minnesota. When Delvin Cook has a good game, they almost always win. Last but not least, you know, look, I love Russell Wilson. I love Pete Carroll. They can't run the ball, even though they continually try to do it. How good do you think Green Bay is? Because I just happen to think they're like the most overrated 13-3 and team we've seen in years. They haven't looked... They haven't had games where you went, oh, okay, like we've had for other teams in the league. This could be like a 6-3 game, Al, <laughs> honestly. The way these, both of these offenses can just shut themselves off and we'll get into the fourth quarter and it'll be a one-score game like 14-6 to six, and we're going to get people, whoever has the ball, this is who you want to have the ball in the last two minutes, Aaron Rodgers' hands, Russell Wilson's hands. These, these are the guys you want having the ball. All right, be that as it may, how come you only scored six points up until the last two minutes of the fourth quarter? You shouldn't have to have this position where the ball is in your hands and you're down a score. Score some points. Russell Wilson's 8-1 and this year on the road. I, I think the week off is really going to help Green Bay. If you say to me which underdog I'm giving you a better chance to, I'm clearly giving you a better chance. Now, I'll probably be dead wrong because I was, you can't pick my nose on the show. But I give Minnesota a better chance. As much as I love Seattle and I love Wilson, but I think I give Minnesota a better chance to win in San Francisco than I do Seattle in Green Bay. I mean, we're almost looking at who scores 24 points. You're probably going to win the football game. Yes. First of 24. Agreed. Last but not least, we'll probably postpone the show one day to watch the national championship game in college football. Clemson. LSU, I believe the number is LSU five and a half as of now, and I think that'll probably get closer to six and a half, maybe even seven as we get closer to the game. LSU is favored. Clemson will play the underdog role, which they love to do, Monday night in New Orleans. Must-see TV. Who you got? Well, normally in this scenario, I would just say, go Tigers. But in this instance, since it's Tigers versus Tigers, I got to say, go LSU. Uh, I, I, look, it's been a Coach O and Joe B year. Uh, I don't see any reason to change now. They've done nothing that would lead me to believe there's going to be a different outcome. They've been the best team from game one through game 13 against the best competition, and they've been getting better and better and better and better, no matter who they play. So... Hopefully the long layoff doesn't hurt everybody. And both teams are out there uh, fresh. Well, they're going to be fresh. 
but sharp, ready and raring to go. There, there, as I said, there's no reason for me to not pick LSU in this game. History would lead you to believe that this is definitely LSU's year. Every star has aligned for this to end with a storybook ending, especially slaying a team like Clemson in order to do it. I mean, you couldn't ask for more. It'll be a season that everyone remembers and an end result that'll go down in history, especially down there. It'd be unbelievable. It will be, if it finishes, it will be the season for the ages for LSU football. You know, as a Clemson homer on this show, working for ACC Radio, I will also say, go Tigers, but in an John Lund accent and meaning the Clemson Tigers in a show us something, LSU. Won't believe it till I see it. It's going to be a great game regardless. I can't wait for it. And fingers are crossed on the Clemson side of things. But if, well, if LSU wins, I'm, I'm not going to, like, hate it. You know, if Alabama beat Clemson, you hate it if you're pulling for Clemson. If LSU wins this game with all that they've gone through this season, you tip your cap. Let's hope it lives up to the billing. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week after those games. Folks, enjoy your NFL weekend. It should be tremendous with the conference semifinals, the national championship game for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund. Until next we meet, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from Wolverine Plains. Have a great sports week, We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.